This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. Brace yourselves, there's a lot to deal with here. Scott Owen. Firstly, Raw Fans of Melbourne are going to have your head for that. And Adam Pace. <laughs> it's good to see that you're listening. Starting now. Well, there have been several weeks in the Brisbane Raw Football Club history, and quite frankly, this has not been one of the more pleasant ones, but either way, we'll try and have a bit of fun discussing it on the latest edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It is, once again, a two-person show with James and Scott on this miserably rainy Wednesday evening. But, uh, Scott, is it really all uh, rain, gloom and doom? Well, if you have a look around the last week, it's a bit of that around, isn't there? It's, it's not, it's, as you said, in all the weeks of Brisbane Raw, it's been a week, and the rain is around, and it kind of sum- summarises the mood quite nice at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, it hasn't been a great start to the A-League season for the men's side. Back-to-back losses, 180 minutes without a goal. We'll discuss the uh, game against Melbourne City from Friday night. Not that we really are too keen to relive it, but... This is what we signed up for when we agreed to do the podcast. And also the um, big story, which is the Raw closing doors on the younger divisions of its academy, which was announced last night. So good thing we didn't rush through the recording on Monday, right? It has its advantages, doesn't it? Recording Wednesday. Yeah, back on our... more time to come up with something to say about the Friday night game, which we'll get into. Yeah, well, if, you, if you've if you got more to say, then by all means. But uh, before we do that, if you want to get in touch with us, email brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com, uh, Facebook, The Raw Review, Twitter, at BNE Football, Instagram, Brisbane Football Review, and uh, feel free to leave a like, a rating, a subscription, or anything on several good podcast platforms that we are on. Yeah, it's just a good time for Adam to be overseas, isn't it, with all this going on? Yeah, I know. I feel like when he messages us, we really do need to tell him that uh, stop and enjoy your holiday, but I think he's also happy to uh, chime in on his downtime, and there has been quite a lot to chime in on. Uh, I don't know if you would have seen him uh, his photo from, I think it was a train journey on Friday when he was watching the roar on his iPad with his head in his hands. I think I would have looked at the scenery out the window by a certain point in that game, James, instead of looking at the iPad, but commitment to the cause watching it regardless. Yes, it was um, a muggy night at Suncorp on Friday where, uh, well, look, things started off on a good note. Got to do a uh, pre-game chat with Jade North up at the Lord Alfred Hotel. That was a good bit of fun uh, with the den. Any and, news you want to share out of that for us? Uh, he's uh, still trying to do his best uh, watching football. He's got a son that's uh, sounding like a pretty good player as well, so we could be seeing two generations of Norths playing for the Raw. Hopefully in a few years, fingers crossed. You never know. Um, beyond that, though, well, it, yeah, certainly uh, wasn't a great game overall. The Raw 2-0 uh, to the victory. Did we ever confirm that it was a Jamie McLaren double? I think officially he did get the slightest of touches on the um, Andrew Naboot shot. And if you actually watch the replay, he does briefly indicate that he is, did get a touch on it. Then he saw Andrew Naboot, the way he was celebrating. I might just let that go, but I think the referee did end up crediting it to... Jamie McLaren, so it was a brace for the former Brisbane Raw striker on Friday evening on his one of his returns to Suncorp. Might be his first almost, isn't it? Because I think a I lot think of City be. games have been at, at Dolphins. I'm trying to think, yeah, if he signed for City in that 2019-20 season, that game, that first home game was played up at Redcliffe back when it was a 10-3 split or whatever, um, which was also the, that was a 4-3 comeback game we were talking about on Friday night, wasn't it? 
It was. That was the game that City led 3-0 and then the Raw came back in the second half thanks to Roy O'Donovan. But I think it might be almost his first game back at Suncorp as a Raw player. He's been there for the Socceroos, as we know, but I think that might be his first game back at Suncorp in opposition colours. And, well, it was a happy return for him on the pitch. It sounds like a couple of the uh, members of the Den might have gone a little bit too far with their uh, heckling of him, shall we say. That's customary for the Den, isn't it? Every former player, regardless of circumstance, seems to cop it, don't they? I'm not quite sure I fully understand it, but that's the way they tend to do things. I have to be honest, I don't agree with that. I've seen plenty of players get, like, former players get treated quite well. I think it all comes down to the um, way they departed. But it does seem like an odd time to all of a sudden decide that Jamie is a um, four-letter word that we will not be repeating. Yes, okay. Anyway, um, we will uh, move on and keep things going because, uh, yeah, there's uh, quite a lot to talk about in this game. And I suppose overall, there is just so much... Yeah, there is so much uh, to talk about from this game as we just sort out some audio issues on the Skype call, but I think we're all sorted. But yeah, Scott, it was um, it was a flat performance from the Raw. And I know Warren Moon came in for a bit of criticism from the fan base after the game as well, but it was a really flat showing. And based on his reaction after the game, I don't think he was overly impressed with the way that the uh, players approached that one either. Yeah, he could tell. You could tell from his post-game press conference he was far from pleased with his side's performance, and and rightly so. It was very much under par, wasn't? It? Particularly given the positives they should have taken out of the Macarthur game, a clean sheet at home in the first game against the Australia Cup champions. You, you would have thought they'd take some degree of confidence out of that into this game, but there was really none of that right from the first whistle, was there? The first half they were so passive with and without the ball, they just really let. Melbourne City dictate the game there. I know they kept it tight for half an hour before City got their goals in the first half, but it was really it was just a matter of the goal is coming, when is it going to arrive? And they eventually found it through a set piece, which I know they conceded a lot of goals from set pieces last year. Or I'm sure they won't be pleased about that either, but it was coming in fairness, that first goal, the breakthrough, and they were well and truly worth their two goal at the break, Melbourne City, and they had to do something. I'm not. We can talk about maybe the changes they did make in a minute, but they had to do something, and I think the tactical change was probably a good a good thing. The concern for Warren out of it would be, even with the more attacking players and the man advantage, what did they do with it? They only had really one or two half chances in the second half, and they were the only half chances they had for the game, so there's real concerns with the attacking end product. There's just not enough chances. They created plenty of chances in the first half against MacArthur a week ago, but the second half against MacArthur and then the full game against Melbourne City... Chances were at a premium, to say the least. The way I sum it up is, it was timid. The, they just didn't seem to have any sort of decisiveness in the way that they were going to go after Melbourne City. There was no, like, there was no verve to the way that they were trying to play. It almost felt like they showed a little bit too much respect to Melbourne City as well. Maybe going in thinking, "Oh, these guys, you know, back-to-back premiers, really good team." They just didn't feel like they had the firepower to compete. And I think Simon Hill, I think, was the one that uh, summed it up. I can't remember if it was on the Global Game or the A-Leagues podcast, but he was saying, this is the last game at Suncorp until April. You're trying to win over what is... like It's a fan base that definitely needs a lot of encouragement to get behind the Raw at the moment because of any number of things, which is a real shame because 
like that preseason run to the Australia Cup semi-final should have really been a good springboard for what we've seen going forward. But it it was really surprising to see them just going on the back foot and trying to just uh, attack on the break because it did leave Charlie Austin isolated and it meant that that trio who were going to be responsible for creating a lot of the attack, Jay O'Shea, Riku Danzaki and Charlie Austin, they look like they were not only reading from, you know, different books, but it looks like those books were all running in different languages as well. There was no cohesiveness. And I just, I'm surprised that they're not all on the same page. And hopefully it is something that gets addressed as the week goes on. So you mentioned the goodwill the Raw should have had after the Australian Cup campaign. It seems like it's all, any goodwill was there, seemingly completely gone, given the nature of the loss to Sydney United, which upset a lot of people, given they lost the member federation side, the off-field off-season stuff which we've gone through in the past and then also the slow start it seems like all that goodwill has been eroded but on the field you're right Charlie Austin was completely isolated on Friday night wasn't he he was doing what he could but we know he's a good penalty box player and can get on the end of things James but there was no service for him whatsoever on Friday night so he had to keep dropping deeper and deeper to try and get a touch on the ball and that's just not what you want him to be doing it's not that he can't do it just you want him in and around the front third where he can get on the end of things and the only thing I'd say about that is, we know he can get on the end of crosses, but that's not the only thing he can actually contribute, James. There's other ways that Raw could look to to build their attack and fashion an opportunity, other than just getting the ball wide and putting in crosses. So maybe need to look at other ways they can get Charlie Austin involved in the game as opposed to just crosses. Yeah, and it is almost a carbon copy of what we saw with Bessart Barisha uh, in his Raw days as well, and similar uh, to when he was with the uh, two Melbourne clubs he played with as well. You could tell when he was getting frustrated. Both he and Austin have that striker's instinct to want to, you know, be involved in the play as much as possible. But that means also that they're having to drop deeper and deeper into their own half to find a way to get themselves on the ball. And it just... I love the hunger. I just don't like the fact that he's got to go that far back to try and sort things out because it really is just... We can all feel the frustration. I, again, I go back to that Rochdale friendly where they're up 4-5-0 after 20 minutes and he's still screaming at his teammates, trying to coach them there. And again, a not-so-subtle plug for uh, my day job uh, with Neds. We uh, released the latest Australian football stories on Tuesday and it was all about Charlie Austin. And like, there is no doubt that he is here like for business. He's here to work. He's not you know, just coming down to try and... Live, it, live on the Gold Coast, um, show up to training two hours a day and then spend the rest of it working on his tan. He is here to work and play football. It's a two-year deal uh, based on what he said in a couple of interviews. Let's make sure that the Raw are getting the best out of him. And just right now, they're not. No, they're not. In terms of he's just not getting enough opportunities in around the front third to impact games. He's not the only one, though. Ricky Danzaki's also been really quiet in his first couple of games, James, and and they're the two players combined. We spoke about in our season preview that we, we all expected and hoped the Raw would have a better attack this year than years pr- prior. And it was those two additions in the off-season that gave us all the catalyst to believe that, yeah, this is going to be a better attacking Raw. And so far in the league, we haven't really seen those two combining or influencing the games in a meaningful way. So I think that's, that needs to be the biggest priority this week for me is getting finding a way to get the best out of those two high-quality impact visa players. And that's something that... I want to give them time, but I'm also really starting to find my patience wearing a bit thin. And I think that does come down in large part to the fact that 
a lot of the attack really did struggle last season. You know, the Juan Lascano signing didn't work out, and they didn't seem to have a secondary option outside of Jay O'Shea just trying to work some magic uh, quarterbacking the team around the park. It's not just Juan Lascano didn't work out. Masato Kudo, best of luck to him with his health issues. Hopefully that gets get itself sorted out as well. That didn't quite work out for the Rio Wada. Rio Wada, even Golgo Mubratu, Scott McDonald briefly as well under Warren Moon didn't quite work out. So and that's over had, the last two years. Yeah, they've tried a lot of different players in the front third. They've never really found that reliable, consistent path to goal, have they? So, look, Charlie Austin did prove in the Australia Cup campaign he can score can score goals, and we know what Ricky Denzaki can do in this league. So the players are there. It's just a matter of unlocking that potential that they have, I think. And I do think a bit of patience is required, but they have been together for a few months now, and you probably want them to be playing a little bit better collectively in the front third as they are now. Not just those two, but across the board. Yeah. Um, another point that I wanted to um, yeah just touch on with that as well, with the stagnant attack, like for all the talk about Warren Moon being a conservative manager, I don't agree with that. I like You think back to his days with Lions and prior to that, Penn Power, he's had phenomenal attacking players at his disposal and he's gotten the most out of them as well. Like, I, again, Marek Mardley, when he was with Lions, had career years and he was scoring for fun. And not to mention as well, I've talked about these games ad nauseum on the podcast and I will continue to bring them up. I, probably two of the Raw's best attacking performances of the post-Ange era have been under Warren Moon. It was back-to-back games a year or two ago. It was Adelaide United on a Saturday night, the delayed game because of the storm in Sydney. And then uh, Melbourne victory a week later. I think it was 3-1 and 5-2. Two of the best displays of attacking football I have seen from the Raw in almost a decade now. Yeah, well, that's a good point. And to be fair, look, Warren Moon certainly imagine, does have a preference of a solid defensive organisation. But what a lot of managers do, his predecessor also preferred a solid defensive organisation. So did John Aloisi. You can win that way and you can play good attacking football that way. Just because you like a defensive organisation doesn't mean you don't like attacking football as well. So I think the notion that Warren Moon doesn't like to attack with the ball, I think is I think is completely incorrect. I think all managers like to see their side in control and on the ball. So I don't think that's the case. It's again, it's just, it's not clicking at the moment for whatever reason. Whether it's an issue of the ball getting to the attacking players or the attacking players not doing enough, I'm not sure. But there's certainly the intent there for the side to go out and attack. It's not that they don't want to go out there and score goals. Of course they do. Every team does. Yeah. All right, well, um, what do you say we hear from Warren Moon on Friday night? And uh, Probably should. Yeah, be forewarned, he is definitely not happy. Uh, Warren, a bit of a disappointing result again for you guys. Where did it go wrong tonight? Um, oh, that's, well, look, it's just a couple of things we've got to look at first in the game. One, we know Melbourne, uh, Melbourne City are a very good team. Um, and I've said this all along, I'll, I'll say it again. It's I, I think they're the benchmark of the competition. Um... But then that doesn't take away from our performance, which I believe was poor tonight. You know, there was certain things we did tonight that were really, really sloppy and below what I expect from this team. Um, so, yeah, look, and we expect them to have the ball. They're a very good side. Um, but, you know, we made some errors at critical times and, uh, and we got punished for it. And uh, playing most of the second half with an extra man, do you feel like you could have created a few more chances? Well, again, I think it comes down to where I said we were poor. I think we were poor because uh, when we had the 10 men, we had openings and opportunities, but we were our touch was poor or we were off with our decision-making. We were a bit slow to move it. And, uh, 
you know, there's no, you know, for me, we sit here now, there's no excuses. We had uh, a good response in that first five, ten minutes. We showed good intensity after half time. We had a good chat at half time about how we needed to improve. Um, and the opportunity was there, uh, but we weren't, we weren't good enough to take it. Well, I think I think when you're at home and you know we're at Suncorp and you know you reflect on the two games, I thought our performance was good last week without the cutting edge for a goal. But then you're two 0 down at half time, uh, and you're here in front of your home fans and and they're passing the ball in front of you and we can't get out to them. I think that's when we need to say. It's not good enough. It's, it's not acceptable, and uh, we need to get out and press the ball more and try and get get on the front foot. And we tried that, you know. But again, at times, you know, we we lack that quality in the final third. What specifically do you think needs to improve to hit the back of the net against these benchmark teams? I think when you come up against a side like Melbourne City, you've got to be you got to be at your best. You've got to absorb, you've got to suffer, you've got to, you know, take the pressure and, you know, <clears throat> there's so many ways we could look at this game because for 20 minutes um, we defended in a block, we didn't have much ball, but we were actually quite comfortable. Um, uh, that was what was disappointing for me is that we had, uh, we had uh, a couple of openings where we were starting to work into the game, but, uh, you know, we gave away ultimately uh, one from a set piece and a penalty, two set pieces really that um, did us, they, they didn't create an awful lot. Uh, but once you do go 2-0 down, um, and they're such a good team at passing the ball that, you know, uh, tactics need to change and we need to be a bit more on the front foot and, and get after them. Well, we're only two games in. You know, we've got good players. We had a couple of good players that still haven't... Uh, Featured yet? I know Nicola came off the bench and he had a, an injury, and, and Henry hasn't featured yet. So we've got a couple of good players still to come in, and uh, and we're still obviously looking at combinations with the players we've got. So um, look, whilst tonight's disappointing, um, we're not going to be the first team that Melbourne City is going to do that to. So um, you know, we just need to look at the positives um, about where we're at as a squad, build on it, keep working into the season. Uh, the A-League's a long season. As much as you lose a couple, when you start to win a couple and go on the run of games, things change, and that's been the history of the A-League. So uh, we've had two pretty tough games now to start the season. Um, I'm not panicked. Uh, I'm disappointed about tonight's performance, for sure, and I'm, I'm disappointed for our fans that uh, we, we couldn't give a better showing at home at Suncorp. That's disappointing. Yeah, well, I think that was it. I th you know, if you took a look at the two games, I think uh, we got into to very good areas again tonight and our crossing was probably not as good as it was last weekend. And it was good last weekend without, you know, that last pass or that final touch. We were a bit unlucky last weekend. Tonight, we can't say that. You know, our, our crossing wasn't there. Um, we had set pieces. We had uh, good crossing opportunities. We either took the wrong option or our crossing wasn't good enough. So, uh, Charlie's a player that thrives off crosses uh, as well. So, um we need to put the ball in the right area for him to attack as well. So, you know, that's where we'll get our improvement. That's where we'll get our work. And, um, you know, like I said, tonight came up against a very good side. We know that. But uh, but we also will probably reflect on that and probably think we could have done a lot better ourselves individually.
just saying, yeah, that's it. You know, I just can't learn a huge amount from the fact that you work for an implementing plan, something like that. Or, or is it a case that you're going to take, look at little items in that match and say, why weren't we able to get pulled up? Why weren't we able to cross? What from a coaching perspective do you do now to, to put this point in the Yeah, look, I. You know, we, we, you don't you don't need to, to panic. We're, we're two games in. It's um, you know, I can reflect now and say, well, you know, I can look at the positives and say, well, for twenty minutes they didn't really create a chance. You know, and we gave away a needless corner when we could have dealt with it, and then didn't handle a set piece. You know, the penalty was given when there was a head knock, and the ball probably the play should have been stopped. You know, I could look at the two positives and say, well, defensively up until that point we were right, but. But then I want to say we need to do more. We want we want to be better than that, you know, with the ball especially, you know. So, um, you know, we will analyse as we always do, you know, what we improve on, what we get out of tonight, you know, we'll always find some. I think we've played really well against Melbourne City down down in uh, Melbourne. I think we lost three two a couple of years ago. Got zero from the game as well. So, you know, it's uh, fo- football has a great way of. Um, giving you the opportunity to bounce back and whether we played well or we didn't the ultimate result tonight was zero points and uh, and now we need to uh, pick ourselves up this week and, and go down to, to Sydney for a, a strong showing and try and get three points Well, I think it's an available option right now. That's why I said I think uh, we still have Henry Hoare and uh, Nicola Milius out. So I think when everyone's fit, we have plenty of attacking options. Uh, and then it's up to the players to, to find the right combination and put themselves in the shop window. Like Henry was excellent for us last year and unfortunately picked up an injury a couple of days before the first game against MacArthur. So, um, but we know what he can do So when he's playing. So we, we know when everyone's fit, we'll have competition for spots and we... Uh, and we'll keep working to find the right combination. Right now in the first two games, it's been Knowles uh, next to Charlie with Ricky on the other side. Um, you know, but we'll go away from tonight and we'll see what the best, uh, the best 11 will be for next week. And uh, Warren, we saw some extended minutes tonight for Jez in the second half. Do you feel like he's improved as a player heading into his second season uh, with the A-League side? Uh, look, I know Jez is a very popular person in the local community. Um, and I'm sure we all want to see him do well, but this, the reality is, it was there for you tonight. There was there was flashes of his quality, uh, but there's not enough consistency in what he's doing right now. And uh, it doesn't mean we'll give up. We'll, we'll keep working with Jez because we can see when he does provide what he does. You know, it excites the crowd, it excites the players, it excites us. But at this level, you need to produce it more often. And there's there's other parts of the game that are important. Defensive duty is important, and until we can see that consistency, we'll. No, not sure where Jesse's at yet in terms of styling for this team, but, but he needs to do more. All right, that was uh, a clearly very irritated Warren Moon in the press conference after the game. And the other point I wanted to uh, follow on from the press conference with Scott was um, the discussion of Jez Lofthouse. I, I asked a question because, look, he's a popular player, gets plenty of fans online, but... It certainly seems like he has not done enough to win over the raw coaching staff just yet, has he? No, I think Friday night was a really good opportunity for him to come on in a game where the raw needed a spark in the game. They were a man to the good, but two goals down with half an hour to go. They needed something to change the game. Look, he did get on the ball, 
He did look to try and make things happen. It just didn't quite work for him. And it's almost, if you, it's almost a snapshot of Jez's time at the Raw so far, isn't it? Where you can see the potential, but it just hasn't quite worked out for him yet for whatever reason. And, and on Friday night, the opportunity was there for him. It just didn't quite happen for him. So he's still waiting for that big break that someone like Henry Hoare got about this time last year. He got that, I think it was the Perth game, where he came off on off the bench and got the goal from close range, and he took the confidence from that and became the player we saw for the rest of the season. Jez hasn't had that moment yet, and I think it's that was a big opportunity for him on Friday night. It just didn't quite happen for him. My summary of Lofthouse so far is there's no questioning he's got the attacking ability to trouble A-League defenders. It just feels like he might be thinking a little bit too much right now, trying to play maybe within a system that's a little bit more controlled compared to what uh, Ben Khan allowed him to do at Olympic. And maybe there's just not quite that attacking freedom and he might be thinking a little bit as well. Not to mention, like, the way it was described to me, that leap from go- to going from NPL to the A-League, it's every team's worst defender is still probably the equivalent of a good NPL defender. So it's not like he's uh, going to be able to just pick his favourable matchups the way he did in the NPL and just say, oh, I'm faster than you, I can just knock it past you and go around. There was one chance I actually remember turning to you and saying, if this was uh, if this game was a Goodwin Park, Lofthouse probably scores. He tried to go around, I forget which Melbourne City defender it was. but it was right back, wasn't it? Yeah, which is not Carl Jenkinson, like I was about to say. But uh, yeah, I've, it was going through the byline, he tried to knock it by and the defender just barged him out of the way and said, no, I, I know what you're trying to do here. It's not happening. It's yeah. still it's still very much a work in progress for Lofthouse, but it is also interesting just hearing the comments from Moon, not only about attitude, but just the fact that he's got to come back and defend as well. I don't think his role in this team should be one where he's being asked to do a whole lot of defending, to be honest. It seems like right now his best job would be as a super sub when you need a goal late on. Maybe, like, don't ask him to track back and help defend nine times out of ten. Maybe just two out of ten times. Let him use his speed and try to pick his spots because maybe that's a better way to use him. Again, I'm just thinking out loud here. Callum Talbot was the defender, by the way. And yes, I did go and Google that quickly while you were, <laughs> while you were That's talking. why I saw you typing, so I just kept talking. Yeah, well, absolutely. But it's, it's what you said about um, Jess Loftus is completely true. You said the same about Cyrus Demi, who also came on off the bench and also with a similar task of trying to change the game. He played out wide as opposed to through the middle in this game. And it's the same thing. that they just, It just hasn't clicked for them. And you want them to be that last throw of the dice off the bench almost, don't you, where they're coming in with 10, 15 minutes to go and trying to make something happen for you when plan A hasn't really worked out for you. And it just hasn't quite clicked yet. I know they've got players out the raw and probably when players like Henry Hoare and Nicola Mendoza need to get returned to fitness, these guys will probably be back into that sort of a role, but this is a big chance for them on Friday night. They showed that they do have a ways to go. Yeah, and I do feel like Demi is probably closer to being a regular option for uh, the Raw first team in terms of being a just all-around option, whether it's chasing the game or just needing fresh legs uh, late on. I think we know what Lofthouse can do. I think it's a question of how much more he can develop. And I still think he's got plenty of potential. He just... Yeah, he's, there's, there is still just a way to go. That's the only way I can sum it up. So just one question. When we're talking about the attack, James. What, what would you do in terms of that attacking 
third trying to complement Charlie Austin. Do you think the idea of pairing him with Joe Knowles is is one worth persisting with, or would you try and change that player, put someone else there, or, or go with a different sort of formation for this weekend in terms of just trying to change up and try something different? I wanted them to go back to the uh, formation that they were using in the second half. I think that's going to probably be a slightly uh, more appropriate way to attack uh, a lot of the A-League defences. The only thing I would point out, I have no problem with the four players they had in the back four being on the pitch. I just wasn't a huge fan of having four central defenders there in that situation. I I can't can't really say, I'll get rid of Kai Truen, get rid of um, get rid of Tom Aldred, get rid of uh, I think it was Connor Chapman, get rid of... Courtney Perkins at left back. Yeah. I just don't think they necessarily need four central defenders back there. But the way I would look at it is, say, get Truen or uh, Chapman anchoring midfield with O'Shea is that deep-lying playmaker, have a three of, um, let's just say, assuming they're healthy, Hoare... Danzaki and Milayuznic buzzing around behind Austin. That that would be my way. Uh, knowing that Hoare and Milayuznic are still battling health issues, yeah, then uh, maybe you try and push Joe Knowles out wide, give him a little bit more space to operate in. I just don't think that two up top with Austin um, is working. That's kind of what they went to in the end, isn't it? Well, they've had Riku in the 10, had Demi off the right, Jez Lofthouse off the left, and then and then Charlie Austin even... as the lead number nine, with Jay O'Shea initially at the start of the second half being that number 10 before he eventually dropped back deeper once again. So they kind of toyed around with where he fit in the formation. I think that's probably his better role, being the more creative link of the two with the three ahead of him and then Charlie Austin. I think that's probably the way I would go as well. Again, it all depends, though, on the fitness of a couple of players because if you've got Henry Hoare and Nikola Miljusnic in wide areas, that does give you better options, so to say. Yeah, oh, and how can you forget Carlo Armiento as well? Bit of a crash back to earth in that game as well. It's going to happen with him, but I'd be backing him to try and uh, put in a bit more of a shift against the Wanderers this week as well. Yeah, he didn't do much wrong on um, on Friday. No, it wasn't his best game. I think it was more wanting to just completely try things, just throwing things at the wall to see if something could, could change the game, wasn't it, in terms of his performance. It wasn't, wasn't as good. A lot... The crosses weren't there. That's the other thing, were they? The crosses that we saw in the first game, they weren't there, and that was another concern. Yeah. Yeah, the crosses just weren't able to find their target, and, yeah, hopefully it will be a little bit better this weekend. All right, let's move on and discuss the uh, big news story of the we last week. The other thing that happened in the game, by the which was the red card for Taras Gamulka. Oh, yeah, good call. Um, I was, sorry, I was trying to move on about that, and we forgot to do the 3 2 ones as well. Maybe I should uh, give up hosting duties to you, Scott. It's not a weekend, so no, you're not getting out that easily. <laughs> but in terms of the red card, I think at, looking at it, it's one where I think you could say um, you're comfortable either way. The referee was very adamant that it was a red card tackle. He went over and had a look at the screen. It took a couple of minutes and ended up sticking with his decision. I think if it was given a yellow card, I don't think there would have been too many complaints. But it gave the Raw a real opportunity they didn't capitalise on. That's ultimately the end of the day of it. But... So the decision itself, I think, is one I can live with. I think he got a one-game ban, which is probably about right. Yeah, and that's pretty much all I can say on it, too. If it was a yellow card, I probably would have thought it was a yellow that was close to a red. But conversely, it was also a red that was close to a yellow. I actually like the application of VAR in that instance as well. 
because it was one of those borderline calls where okay probably didn't it didn't need to be changed just because it was reviewed but I don't mind the VAR saying hey are you sure about this and the referee whose name I am forgetting I don't have it in front of me unfortunately either way like I don't mind the referee having the gumption to just go and say no like I can see why we're reviewing it but I'm happy to stick with my original call and that's what you want referees to do, is it? To have the confidence in their own decision. No, I saw this live. I know what I saw. And in my mind, it's a red card offence. Yes, I see what you're pointing out on the replay. But live, I thought it was a red card. And therefore, I'm sticking with my decision. That's what you want referees to have the confidence to do. Yeah. And it wasn't a clear and obvious error that would have justified uh, calling it, like uh, changing it either. And Patrick was Slow a ju- in the press conference also wasn't exactly blowing up about it either. He was pretty content with it for the most part he wasn't happy but he also wasn't blowing up either yeah I I think it's one of those ones where if it had been a raw player on a Melbourne City player uh, Kishnorbo probably would have been saying yep clear red it it just depends on what side of the fence you fall on 3-2-1 vote Scott for the player of the year let's uh, quickly get through this yes let's get through these Uh, 3 for Tom Alder 2 for Kai Truen and 1 for Jordan Holmes very close to what I had as well now let's move on to the biggest story of the last 24 hours and uh, the Raw have announced that they are discontinuing a large portion of their academy program, which was launched in, well, was announced in 2017 and launched in early 2018. I think we were there at QUT that day when they took the first uh, sessions. I think we were there. We had a chat with um, Drew Sherman, the former academy director for the show that day, didn't we as well, to talk about the launch of the academy and what are we, five years later and they've um, wound up most of it. It's the age groups from under 13 to 18, I believe. Yeah, I think one of the O's, I think it might be 14s to 18s, and I think 13s or one, 12s or 13s is going to move to a smaller size field next year in any event. So as part of the, um, I think it's a national thing where they're making it about trying to get the game to be played in smaller areas to, to improve players' ability to, to create chances in tight areas. So one of the age groups is dropping back to a less than full-size field anyway, and the rest of them up to under 18s, as you said, they've decided to hand back to Football Queensland. Yeah, and predictably, the fan base not happy about that as well. I, uh, well, I may as well uh, say it now. What we will do before the uh, World Cup, because the Perth game in round six isn't going ahead, I think we're going to cover a lot of this stuff in a lot more detail then, uh, because right now, we just don't really have the time to do it, and I'm pretty sure Adam will get very annoyed if we don't let him come off on the long run on a few of these topics, including... He's not decision- talking about it anyway. We're not having him on that show either. That's his, that's his punishment <laughs> for going to Europe. <laughs> but yeah, either way, like we'll discuss that, the crowds, and a few other things as well coming up in a few weeks' time when we've got a little bit more uh, room to work with. In the meantime, though, I, I get that... You know, there is going to be a lot of blame thrown at the backeries. I don't blame anyone for uh, being overly frustrated with the way things are going at the moment. But overall, like, I do also feel bad for some of the people at the club who are probably the ones copying a lot more of this directly as opposed to the ones that... uh, who Well, the people behind the scenes at the club who are copying this and maybe didn't have a whole lot to do with this decision. I think it is... I don't like the decision to close the academy, but I also kind of think there's a bit more to it than what is originally being reported the key thing for us i think to say is it is not the whole academy that is closing down like what was originally uh leaked out it is a large portion of it i'm not going to try and paint it otherwise but it does sound like um they will be maintaining 
teams in the NPL under-23s competition and the NPL seniors competition, which is actually the rules under-18s and under-23s squads because they play upper division uh, because they are allegedly the best of the best from their age groups. Yeah, so they're going to have a bigger squad than they normally do for those two age groups. They, a lot of those players do genuinely cross over anyway, and some of them even do play down in the age group lower than that, which they are eligible for. So there is a lot of crossover in that Brisbane Royal Academy. So it's basically going to be one big squad that covers their 23s and their scenes, as you as you mentioned. The decision we will, we will talk about, I don't agree with the decision either, but I do agree with your point about the backers are shielded by the people here. And I think with the fan base, it's more a case of they're at that point where anything that is negative news about the direction of the club, they're at that point where they just want to see some change in positivity that they're going to jump on and pile on. And I think that's what we're seeing a bit of in the last 24 hours, James. With the actual academy, it's interesting because we've never actually seen what the academy actually produced. Because I was talking to Chris Grossman about this during the NPL season. You can listen to it on one of our old NPL Sunday shows up on our, up our podcast feed where he spoke about the fact that only now, some of the young players that came through this year are the first group of players who started the academy in under-13s and are playing now in the senior NPL side. So it's only now we're finding out the, the fruits of that labour of what sort of players that the academy has produced compared to players of the past. So it'd be interesting to see how this young group of players does go next year to see the effectiveness of the academy. And the other thing is it does will transfer back to Football Queensland now to take control of this program, which I think they're going to do take over fully in 2024 with a bit of a placeholder measure for next year, basically making it a bit like the um, FQQAS side on the on the girls' side, James, where Football Queensland run all that youth development under their own banner, coach the players, develop those players, and they do go on to play for the Raw or in the NPL or wherever they end up going. So I think that's the way it's going to end up going. It'll be interesting to see how that does pan out because it's a big change for youth development here in Queensland. It'll be interesting to see what it does look like going forward. Yeah, and again, like, I need to preface this by saying I can completely understand the frustration with all this as well, where it, for a lot of the fans, it does feel like it's just one more, you know, thing to throw on the pile of things people can be frustrated about. I'm not saying don't be angry, far from it. I can understand the frustration, but it does seem like there is a little bit more to it than just simply, like, just... Yeah, Bakri allegedly penny-pinching. What does uh, stand out for me is uh, some of the parallels have been drawn today after people have had a little bit of time to sleep on it and consider it a little bit more, Scott, is uh, it does sound like this is being likened to the way things are run out of the uh, Adelaide and South Australia setup uh, down there. Yeah, so it sounds like Ante Kovacic was involved in Adelaide United in the past, as we know, so I wonder if he's brought that model in, which he knows down there and we've certainly seen good players come out of South Australia the two rays just as an example of players who've come out of South Australia in the last few years so there's some good players coming out of that is that because of more talent in South Australia or the path no well, there's we're going to no, find out yeah. if, if players like that start coming out of Queensland through this pathway then you can say it's probably a pathway thing but South Australia has to be fair always produced players that are probably more consistently picked up by the national teams than players from Queensland. So I think it's more of a fact that up here, things have been just fragmented for such a long time of who, whose responsibility is it to produce the best young players and develop them to be going on and playing for the national team. Whereas in South Australia, they seem to have that a bit more in tune. 
So I do wonder if that's kind of what they're going for, trying to copy that model. I looked at this last night in terms of how it does go. South Australia is very much the anomaly to the rest of the country. All the New South Wales teams pretty much do the same thing. They have what the Raw had, each age group, and then 23s and seniors. Victorian teams the same. I think Perth were the same as well. So Adelaide were the anomaly, but they were producing a lot of really good players. So we'll see how it does pan out. But I think it's going to take a while for this pathway to actually kick into gear either way. Yeah. Well, you know who the biggest losers out of all of this uh, decision really is, right, oh, Scott? Oh, victory, right? I'm sure they're devastated <laughs> down there today. Yeah. I mean, that they basically lost their farm system. Maybe they can go to Adelaide. I'm sure they'd try. But yeah, like, back to back to the topic at hand. Like, it is a you know, probably billion-dollar question with youth development with the way uh, transfer fees are, where this is the you know, key thing that football in Australia really has to try and find a way to solve. It's not just a Queensland thing, but they need to find a way to not only produce the best players for the national team, but to produce more than that where... Uh, A-League clubs, NPL clubs, etc., can find ways to turn talent production into a profitable service. I think oh, when we were talking about this earlier, there was only one player from the Raw Academy that has been sold. I will happily be corrected if uh, someone wants to confirm that, but it was the defender Diesel Harrington. And he recently moved overseas this year to AGF Aarhus. So it was actually in their senior team match day squads at Great Station to Diesel at, over the weekend, but we might look at that actually over the next couple of weeks ahead of the show we're going to do when the game against Perth isn't going to happen in terms of what's, what what has the A-League Academy produced for the Brisbane Raw in terms of who was a part of it and what have they gone on to achieve. So we might look into that a little bit more to try and judge the effectiveness of it, James, but you I, I can't think of anybody else who's been sold from the Brisbane Raw Academy overseas. I know Zach Duncan was in there I think he joined in the under-18s from memory, but he was pretty much straight into the um, National Youth League squad straight away, and he went overseas. I think that might have been a free transfer, though, however, but I can't think of too many others who've actually gone overseas out of the Brisbane Royal Academy. I'll have to take a look. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not trying to throw him under the bus with this here, but I this feels like a decision that was uh, being made by Ante Kovacevic, the general manager of football at the Raw. And I suppose when I approach it that way, it suddenly makes a lot more sense. Not because I necessarily think that this is the right thing to do. I'm still very skeptical on it and I will remain skeptical on it. However, he would have been brought in to make changes. There is no doubt about that. He would have been brought in to come in and say, all right, this isn't working, this isn't working, this isn't working. I want to do X, Y, Z, and these are the ways we're going to do it. So maybe he's come in and said, look, this academy system isn't producing the talent that we think it is. It's probably costing a hell of a lot because it was a free service to a lot of parents. And it's something that just isn't really producing the dividends that a club like the Raw need. Now, again, like there is going to be a lot of skepticism and cynicism over this decision. I'm not going to dispute that. That's, I would say a lot of that has been earned over the last six, seven, eight plus years. But I do think there is a chance that it might not be the end of the world. Yeah, as, as, a, as a relatively new director of football or football operations, whatever you want to call it, James, it's a big, a big decision for someone just straight into the job, isn't it? So 
I think we should actually maybe try and reach out to the Raw and see if we can have a chat with, with Ante, get him on the show in the next couple of weeks and see his perspective on what he saw and why he's made, why the football, well, we shouldn't say why he's made this decision, why Brisbane Raw have made this decision. We don't actually know if it was his decision or not. So we've got to give the benefit of the doubt. We don't know who actually made this final decision, but we might try and get Ante on the show in the next couple of weeks just to talk about the football department more broadly and also this um, youth decision that's been announced over the last 24 hours. Yeah, exactly. And look, if you were hoping for us to come into this show kicking and screaming and saying, you know, fold the club, give the license to Ipswich Knights or whatever, this isn't what we're going to do. It's not what we've done over the last six and a half, seven years or whatever. I've always been an Ipswich City man anyway. I'm not giving it to the Knights. <laughs> but Western Pride? No? Anyway, uh, moving on. We're like, yeah, I, th- I think we're, we're fair enough to say, like, it's not really something that we it's can see. It's not a decision we would have thought of making, that's for sure, but there may be yeah. something behind it. But, but, yeah, I'm also not going to... Yeah, I'm also not going to just blindly say, oh, it's fine. But, yeah, anyway. I also admit I was probably getting pretty close to some of those people last night in terms of my frustration with the decision. As someone who's covered the academy for a fair while, it was a bit of a, a, bit of a blind side to see it coming, but we'll see what happens with it. Yeah, exactly. And like with a lot of these stories, I think it does seem like it w- there's a lot more to be revealed. So we will try and have a chat with the Raw, see what we can dig up on that in, uh, in the time being. The only reason I mentioned Kovacevic as well is because his name was on the um, yeah. letter that was uh, distributed by the sounds of it. Right, this weekend, the Raw are heading down to Combank Stadium for a round three clash with Western Sydney Wanderers. And... Uh, well, Scott, I'm not expecting a whole lot of goals in this game. What about you? I wouldn't have thought so, given the um, the defensive nature of Marco Rudan, not Marco Rudan, it's now Marco Rudan, if you were watching on the weekend. He's changed his name, or at least where he wants it to be said. But they've also been really solid defensively over the first couple of weeks of the season. So you would imagine it's going to be more of the same on Saturday afternoon. I think this game kicks off down there in Sydney. The Royal have got a good record in the last year or so under, under Warren Moon against West Sydney Wanderers, not just the cup tie, in to qualify them for the round of 32 this year, but also in the regular season last year, they had a good, couple of good wins over the link. The last game of the Carl Robinson era was actually against Brisbane Roar up at Redcliffe, so they've got a good record against the Wanderers. This will be really interesting, because the last couple of years, Western Sydney, whenever they've had a really high moment in their season, like they did on Saturday night, a great win away to Melbourne Victory. You've got to give them credit for it. They were really, really good in that game. In the past, they've followed it up with a really sluggish, sloppy performance, and they've never really kicked on from it. So from their perspective, they would be really looking forward to a good crowd down there at Combank Stadium and kicking on. For Brisbane's point of view, they've got to find some fluency in the front third, James. And their, their record against the Wanderers should give them confidence that they can do that. And this is still a new Wanderers team, don't forget, with a lot of changes. We spoke about it in the season preview. We weren't sure what to make of it. It looked like a good team on paper, but it was a lot of changes and we had to be convinced that it was going to work. So far, it looks okay but it's two games in. Can they can do that consistently? I think the Raw should go down there looking with confidence to score some goals. I think that's got to be the mentality. And I agree, as we spoke about earlier, the second half formation, the more attacking approach would be the way I would go. And I think they can go down there and at least look more fluent than they did this weekend, that's for sure. For me, it all comes down to just getting that first goal. That that feels like all that's uh, really needed right now for the Raw, where they just need to find a way to get the ball in a position for Charlie Austin, Riku, or someone else to just bury that chance. 
that feels like what they're really missing right now. And look, I'll be honest, I think if the Raw go down there and play their game and the talent that they've got plays to the level we know it can, I think they'll win this one. Because I'm genuinely expecting Western Sydney to come out and be a little bit flat. I think they had a huge win last weekend, but they were also a little bit rubbish against Perth Glory and were very lucky to get away uh, with a win in that one. And I think we were all unanimous in tipping Perth to finish uh, stone dead last on the league in large part because they've been kind of screwed over with the ground situation in Perth. But I still think that the Raw, if they play the way we know they can, they'll win. And the Wanderers do have the Sydney Derby the following week, I believe, as well. So they may very, this could be a trap game for them. Victory away was clear game they set themselves for. There's no doubt they've set themselves for. I think that first derby against Sydney FC is actually at the new Sydney Football Stadium as well. So they'll certainly have set themselves for that. This might be a game that they may slightly overlook. So there is a chance for that. But on the, on the showing of last weekend, you would say Western Sydney will start deserved favourites. But the Raw do have possibilities in this. They are, I think it's only one loss in the last nine games against the Wanderers. So they've got good form against them. They've got a good record down there at the new Sydney, at the new Combank Stadium, Parramatta Stadium, whatever you prefer to call it. I think they should go down there with the confidence they can do something and try and spring an ambush. Yep, and that's all they can try and do. Um, and all we can really do is hope for the best. I've got something positive to talk about on the show next week. This negatively is getting to me. Okay, I will end on a positive note because that's you know, what I always love to be, a ray of sunshine. I'm pretty sure we're going to be seeing the Raw Spectacular away kit this weekend. Well, we do need a ray of sunshine given the weather today here in Brisbane. But, uh, yeah, the new away kit should be... Yeah, they probably will wear it because the red and black probably does clash with orange. So, yeah, whether they wear the white one or the grey one, we'll have to wait and see, but... The grey one or the black... It'll be the grey one, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Look forward the, one to that a- the one that Adam has been uh, That's gallivanting... That's the with the maroon and the orange diagonal stripe, yeah. right? The uh, Roma-style kit, yeah. as I think we've unofficially dubbed it. Well, hopefully that brings them some good luck. Yes, and uh, the one that Adam has been wearing around Europe. Yeah. Let's talk about Adam and his European adventures, the better. Uh, I think jealous. we'll stop. Yeah, we'll stop recording and then start bagging him out. I think so, definitely. That's what we normally do. All right. Well, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, James. Let's get into that um, bashing of Adam. Yeah. No thanks to Adam while he's buggered off and having fun. How dare he? We're going to be back next week to review it all on the Brisbane Football Review. Enjoy the football this weekend. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>